Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I'm James Evan Pilato from MediaMonarchy.com. A stark reminder that allegations will be aggressively investigated. We've got that story, plus Palantir goes public. But first, MI6 Man of Mystery is the smoking gun as UK complicity in Iran coup revealed. So we kick off this new New World Next Week episode with essentially something that's old news, but just has more further proof. Again, we can file this under all the conspiracy theories that turned out to be true. Good stuff here from Covert Action Magazine. After 60 years of foot dragging and dissembling, the U.S. government finally confessed and admitted its role in the bloody 1953 coup that overthrew Iran's democratically elected government led by Dr. Mohammad Mosaddegh. With new documentary Coup 53's compelling evidence, maybe it's now Britain's turn to fess up. More than 300 killed, thousands imprisoned for treason in an MI6 CIA-backed coup that left the country condemned to a 25-year reign of terror under the dictatorship of the U.S.-backed Shah of Iran. In 2013, the CIA officially fessed up and admitted to bribing high Iranian government officials, spreading defamatory anti-government propaganda, three, which I think maybe is the most important directly related to what we see right now, hiring the most brutal criminal gangs to riot in the streets, and ultimately, number four, orchestrating the 53 coup d'etat in Iran as an act of U.S. foreign policy planned and approved by the highest levels of government. But not a peep from Great Britain, which admitted nothing and concealed everything. The British government may have even arranged to conceal an interview with a talkative MI6 spy named Norman Darbyshire, who actually revealed his and Britain's complicity in the coup in a 1985 BBC documentary called End of Empire. But, of course, his incriminating testimony edited out before the broadcast. But now the transcript of Agent Darbyshire's lost interview has resurfaced numerous independent locations and has been reenacted prominently in this new documentary, which actually even features Ray Fiennes. The film's director, Tagi Amirani, an Iranian who traveled around the world seeking new details about the coup that destroyed his country, stated, quote, even though it's been an open secret for decades, the UK government has not officially admitted its fundamental role in the coup. Finding the Derbyshire transcript is like finding the smoking gun. It is a historic discovery. And we will include lots in the show notes, not the least of which, of course, the official teaser trailer for the new documentary, Coup 53. James, I think this is always just... Again, it may not be really popping, exciting. Oh, you guys want us to talk about the clown debate show last night. This is real, I think, fundamental good stuff that we get on the record that I think, again, makes us less and less like conspiracy theorists. James? 100% yes. And let me address directly what you opened up with there, the people who are going to dismiss, oh, this is old news. We already knew this. Uh, first of all, that is a disinformation tactic to use that approach. Do not fall for it. If you see other people using that online, call them out on it. Oh, that's old news is a disinformation tactic that is used to cover up important pieces of information that are being added to the historical record. We now know more than we did yesterday. This is important about an important historical detail. So do not fall prey to that psyop and call people out when they use it online because it is a way that the, uh, the disinformation spreaders want to uh, bury or, or cover up important pieces of this historical record. Uh, let me throw a flashback into an interview uh, 727 on the Corbett Report 
uh, page, which was New World Next Week with James Evan Pilato, where we talked about uh, back in 2013 when Obama um, had to go on record and the CIA documents were released admitting U.S. government involvement in Operation TP Ajax. Again, not exactly new news, startling discovery we didn't know, but it is a piece of the historical record that is now there. You can read the documents and understand it in greater detail. So this sort of thing is important. For people who don't know about the context of this, I will, of course, direct you to the uh, the article that you're linking up here from Covert Action Magazine that goes into it in a great degree of detail. But essentially, long story short, there was a 1985 BBC documentary interview with this MI6 agent, Norman Derbyshire, who got a little bit too talkative about Britain's role in uh, Operation TP Ajax and, and what essentially uh, getting a bit angry that Kermit Roosevelt took all uh, of the, the uh, accolades for overthrowing this uh, democratically elected uh, leader on the other side of the planet. So he started getting a little too talky. That got snipped out and never mentioned again. And no one even knew that that existed, that, the, that, docu- that, that interview, until it was discovered apparently for this documentary. So it is important, but asterisk caveat, uh, I should note that uh, later on they go to talk about the, uh, specifically the assassination of the head of the national police and um, and this Derbyshire guy's story about that. And there's some cl- conflicting evidence as to opposed to what he was saying versus the, the evidence that we have on that, which uh, they note in this article, quote, the rogue young army assassination story is thus suspect, especially given men like Der- Derbyshire. They are experts in disinformation. Their job is to cover up their agency's critics, smear their enemies, and try to sanitize the historical record even after their own passing, as Derbyshire did in 1993. So I wouldn't say that this Derbyshire interview should be taken ironclad as the 100% truth. No, it has to be compared to the other historical evidence and details that we can compare it to. But it is still an interesting and important piece of this story, so I will again refer people back to the article. And thank you, James, for bringing this article to my attention specifically, because I just realized I don't have Covert Action magazine in my uh, feed, Feedly feed of the uh, the news, my newsreader that I use to, to look at different sites. I didn't have this one in there. It is now, so now I have another source of uh, interesting information along these lines. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. I, I, get, I get it even older school than that. I get the email notification when new posts go up. And James, actually, I, I've got a buddy. I've, I've got a colleague at actually at Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, who many years back sent me essentially the print archive of Covert. It was originally called Covert Action Quarterly. And he sent me essentially every magazine they ever printed until, like many things, of course, essentially just went to digital only. So as many folks might expect, the media monarchy kingdom does have the entire print archive of Covert Action Quarterly. And James, two really interesting related, semi-related stories to this. I think in a way this could have been the enti- this entire New World Next Week episode. Two other, I think, really interesting related sort of stories. One from Great Game India that I'm actually looking forward to diving into more. The Secret History of How British Intelligence Created Amnesty International. And the other that goes to, again, geopolitics and the real games that get played. Trump poised to gift Israel $11 billion in bid to secure another peace treaty. But alas, we have so much more to talk about on this episode 422 of New World Next Week. So what's going on in Silicon Valley? A couple of folks we've talked about many times here in the New World Next Week archives that happened today. James, Silicon Valley Surveillance Corp. Palantir goes public on the New York Stock Exchange. And we get this article 
from, of course, the Amazon Hallway Post, who would probably know a thing or two about this. The secretive data and surveillance company Palantir offered its stock to public investors for the first time this week, a long-anticipated move that promises to transform its business and its public profile. James, it was 10 bucks when I checked it early this morning. I checked it just before we started to roll again, and it's less than 10 bucks now. The direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange is one of the most hotly anticipated tech IPOs in years, and investors seek to capitalize on a business that's grown by almost a third every year since 2009. But some recently disclosed financial records furnished to the Securities and Exchange Commission as part of the public offering process suggest Palantir's business may be overly concentrated among a few loyal customers raising questions about whether it can scale up the same way as other tech outfits. So essentially their concern isn't that, of course, government and the fangsters are in bed together creating the Skynet surveillance grid. It's just how much money this might actually make. That's that's what they're really concerned about. Palantir, by the way, James, I don't think we've ever actually gotten into this. If we did, it's, it's been longer ago than I recall. Palantir is, of course, named for the mysterious black orb that you use to communicate with the giant all-seeing eye of Sauron from Lord of the Rings, of course. It was founded in 2004 by builder burger blood boy Peter Thiel with, of course, financial help from the CIA. We'll give you the link. You can you can track Palantir's stock on Robinhood. And some other, I think, kind of interesting related notes, James, that kind of tie into all of this. Five things about the formerly secretive software company's direct listing. And even so, the IPO has some funny shenanigans to it where they basically give the peons who are on Robinhood a chance to play. But all the good stock, of course, is held by the gangsters and banksters at the top of the company. But they'll throw you some crumbs and tell you it's a meal. Scars, tattoos, and license plates. Documents show how LAPD was trained to use Palantir. And, of course, a few classics from right here. How Big Brother seeded the tech revolution and the secrets of Silicon Valley and even James, uh, another previous Neural Next Week episode, Billionaire Bilderberger Busted Building Bioweapons. I'd like to think I came up with that title, I think, James. Uh, quite possibly. It sounds like a James title. Um, I'll give you credit. Um, yeah, but uh, this is a great story, if only because it contains that sentence. Palantir, named for a mysterious black orb that a dark wizard uses to communicate with a giant disembodied flaming eye in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> I mean, any news story that contains a sentence like that is, uh, interesting, shall we say. And so for people who are completely lost and truly do not know what is going on here? I will direct you to a few key pieces of information. One is a uh, 2011 article, Palantir, the War on Terror's Secret Weapon. One is a 2013 profile, How a Deviant Philosopher Built Palantir, a CIA-funded data mining juggernaut. And the other is a 2018 article, Palantir Knows Everything About You. And so for people who are looking to get a handle on what this is, this is software that creates these associational profiles via 18 billion different pieces of information from uh, hundreds of databases scattered all over. So what does that actually mean and what does that look like? Well, they uh, in one of these articles, the More on Terror Secret Weapon article, they give the example of Mike Fikri, 
who drives to Orlando. He gets a speeding ticket, which triggers an alert in the CIA's Palantir system. An, animal, an analyst types Fikri's name into a search box, and up pops a wealth of information pulled from every database at the government's disposal. There's fingerprint and DNA evidence for Fikri gathered by a CIA operative in Cairo, video of him going to an ATM in Miami, shots of his rental truck's license plate at a toll booth, phone records, and a map pinpointing his movements across the globe. All this information is then displayed on a clearly designed graphical interface that looks like something Tom Cruise would use in a Mission Impossible movie. In other words, this is something straight out of those sci-fi dystopia nightmares we always see on the uh, the predictive programming about the complete total surveillance of everything you do and they know everywhere you've gone and they have pictures and whatever to, to back up every cookie crumb in that trail. The only caveat here, the asterisk, is that, of course, Mike Fikri is completely fictional. This is the fictional scenario that they use to sell this software to their clients. And, of course, their clients have mostly consisted of government agencies because they are essentially a creature of the military-industrial complex, so they sell to government and military uh, uh, operatives. But they're starting to expand. So don't worry, investors. They, They make a good investment because they're starting to expand their base into the commercial sector. So now... Don't worry. Um, And actually, yeah, when you get into the weeds of it, their revenue is growing, but their profit is absolutely staying the same. Or no, not their profit, their loss. Sorry, half a billion dollar loss per year. But don't worry, guys. It's a great investment opportunity. Anyway, if people are interested in the ins and outs of this non-IPO, as you say, it's a direct listing. If people want to know more about what that is, I will uh, echo your exhortation for people to read that five things to know uh, article from market watch that goes into some of that but um, and people who are interested in the whether this is a good investment or not can go to the palantir channel on vimeo where they have the investor day webcast and the investor day live q and a up there for you to watch and decide whether you want to become an investor in palantir uh, personally i think i'll abstain from participating in this but i think it's isn't it illuminating and instructive that the the way that they try to sell this to their clients is by creating this fictional scenario of this fictional terrorist who's traveling to Orlando and going to Disney World and doing all this stuff, and we can pull up all this information that's completely 100% fiction. It reminds me of how the NSA says, we need to scoop up every email, every phone call, every record of everything you do every every day because there are terrorists out there, terrorists, 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 ah, terrorists. Keep us safe from the terrorists, NSA. So how many terrorists have you actually caught with this data? NSA. Oh, exactly zero. But don't worry, maybe one of these years, maybe by random chance, we'll happen to stumble upon a terrorist plot. Maybe. Anyway, just give us all your data. That's kind of what this reminds me of. But uh, it is a grift. Unfortunately, it's one that scoops us all up in it because it is not about catching terrorists. It is about catching you and me. The, The real problem in the world of stocks and investing is generally any corporation that's big enough to be listed generally are giant bad guys you don't actually want to give your money to, let alone, I don't know, try and win money from them. Speaking of money, James, our third and final segment on this New World Next Week episode 422, I think in some ways follows our coverage of, of course, the Bayer, Monsanto, the lawsuits, Johnson & Johnson, all these cases where these giant, horrible corporations seem to be going down in flames, but they're still around. They can, you know, get charged and fined billions of dollars, but that's just no biggie. J.P. Morgan Chase agrees to pay $920 million over market manipulation. J.P. Morgan Chase, 
accused of presiding over thousands of episodes of illegal trading in precious metals and treasury markets, said this week it'll pay about $920 million as part of an agreement with the Justice Department. The Justice Department, James, again, I can never <laughs> leave out the part. like the Justice Department are the guys who helped steal the Promise software, which is in some ways the early precursor to the new Palantir technologies. It is a rich tapestry. The Justice Department said employees stationed on desks in New York, London, and Singapore engaged in an unlawful scheme, unlawful schemes, plural, to trade gold, silver, platinum, and palladium futures contracts, scooping up orders with the intention of canceling them before they were executed. The manipulations in metals markets, which began around 2008 and lasted into 2016, involved 10 former traders, according to a deferred prosecution agreement signed by blah, blah, blah. Five former J.P. Morgan employees also participated in thousands of instances of illegal trading in Treasury markets. The agreement said, and old William F. Sweeney Jr., the assistant director in charge of the FBI's New York field office, said that the big bucks penalty should serve as a stark reminder to others that allegations of this nature will be aggressively investigated. James, it kind of jumped out to me here reading this as, as again, we had the amazing, most idiotic presidential debate. It is what America deserves. So they got it last night. So thinking about those puppet presidents, 20, 2008 to 2016, who was the puppet president then? He was the guy who in 2012 told hard-hitting news show The View, J.P. Morgan is one of the best managed banks. And just recently in the scamdemic, he is still shilling for his bankster buddies. Obama headlined J.P. Morgan Chase's virtual commencement for black colleges. James, again, the, the puppets can change up at the top. And their cronies who help get them there might, you know, pay some fines here or there, but nothing ever really dumps over the game board. No, but unlike a lot of the cases that we cover here where there's, you know, settlements like this, this one, they actually did admit wrongdoing. So that's something. And they'll have to actually throw a couple of scapegoats uh, in under the bus <laughs> to mix my metaphors <laughs> greatly there. Um, but yeah, uh, so, I mean, there there is something here where they couldn't quite escape uh, completely penalty-free. But as you say, I mean, $920 million, that's just the cost of doing business when you're busy creating money out of thin air. So um, there's a lot of history here, because as you say, this didn't just start and end yesterday. And you would already know about this if you followed the alternative media, because you will remember uh, J.P. Morgan whistleblower Andrew McGuire from way back in the day um, complaining to the CFTC, going public with his accusations about J.P. Morgan manipulating the gold and silver uh, markets at that time with regards to naked shorting and other such uh, practices. Uh, for example, 2011, uh, sorry, 2010, in a uh, New York Post article on metals are in the pits, they uh, quote Andrew McGuire saying, uh, J.P. Morgan acts as an agent for the Federal Reserve. They act to halt the rise of gold and silver against the U.S. dollar. J.P. Morgan is insulated from potential losses on their short positions by the Fed and or the U.S. taxpayer. That was elaborated on in testimony to the C CFTC by Bill Murphy, the president of GATA, the... Uh, Gold uh, Action and Gold Antitrust Action Committee, uh, and back in 2010, and uh, that that in testimonies on YouTube, they've got the transcript of it where he was talking about the ways that J.P. Morgan and HSBC are involved in 
this type of shorting. And I did talk to Bill Murphy specifically about that in interview 200 back in the Corbett Report archives for people who want to catch up to it. And I'll throw in a couple of that, that article that you're linking to is exceptionally short on detail. So I'll throw in a couple of links, uh, one to a Bloomberg article on this and another to an MS, uh, sorry, a CNBC article on this that go a little bit more into detail about the spoofing the, the spoofing orders, which is what they're being accused of here specifically, and how that works and what it means. Um, but long story short, yes, uh, is JP Morgan going to go under as a result of this? Probably not. But at the very least, it does serve once again in the court of public opinion to convict the criminals like the Obamas and others uh, within the establishment who holds up this bankster crony system, the too big to fails, as Obama's attorney general. Uh, termed them back in the day, because how can we possibly prosecute these banksters for their wrongdoings? That'll collapse the economy. Ah, see, and we forget who who coins these amazing phrases, and it seems like it's been around for decades, but just a little bit of time. Actually, I misquoted uh, too big to jail was the, and I'm not sure that's a direct quote, but anyways, that was the way they played on it. That was Attorney General uh, Holder. Uh, Holder? Uh, Under Obama. Anyway. Ah. The, the guy who let a bunch of guns go free that yeah. killed yeah. people. Fast uh, and Furious, operation. yeah. <laughs> oh, what a rich tapestry. Yes, we we have references to all, all sorts of stuff going on here. I hope people can keep, keep up. Well, and that's, uh, and James, I mean, I love doing it. We've, we are nearly at 11 years of doing New World Next Week here. And I think maybe sometimes it might not seem like, again, these big bombshell stories that get a lot of views and clicks and rage, anger, blah, blah, blah. But I think we've done pretty well at just documenting the provable instances of conspiracy, which, again, is one of the biggest charges governments love to level against people. In closing, James, I will remind folks that I stream news, music, memes, and more, generally speaking, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Mountain Time, at my own website. It's, uh, you know, news and music, and we essentially have a good time. It's become, I don't know, they say it's bad to have some sort of closed echo chamber but i like having a gated community where there are like-minded kind of awesome media monarchy folks so having mentioned that we will also mention of course for the last couple of months james you and i have essentially been using my american post office box for folks that want to support us and maybe more importantly you who don't do the digital stuff so we are using my post office box you will find all that information down in your show notes of course always remember you have to address it to James Evan Pilato. And also, if you want us to, you know, get back in touch with you, an email address mentioned in the letters might might help. But, James, again, I love it. Again, it's been really, really fun. And getting letters and things handwritten from people who talk about, again, thanks for doing this for technology-deficient seniors. That, that was one I... <laughs> Yeah, so the other proviso is a legibly printed uh, email address that we can actually read. Uh, I think it's Janet. Uh, we're talking to you because we don't, your email address wasn't working or whatever we thought your email address looked like. <laughs> I think it's Joyce, but Joyce, don't worry. There you go. I'll send her a postcard because these are the things, again, we do here in independent alternative media, James. I, you know, I'll get emails or sometimes from people who, they, I think they think we have staffs of people. They send emails as though, you know, you should tell <laughs> it's us. This is a yeah. real gets. And again, in another way, you see 
the corporate mainstream imitating dudes in their apartments talking about nude. <laughs> I always love those emails. It's like, will will someone show this to James, please? Meanwhile, I'm sitting there at like five in the morning, bleary eyed, reading this. Like, what? <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's uh, a staff would be nice, wouldn't it? All right. Well, anyway, we'll we'll see what we can do. We'll work on that. And in the meantime. Thank you to everyone for your support, and we're going to be back doing it again next week. Looking forward to it. James, thank you again. All right, buddy. Take care.